This episode, a real workout for your sense of fantasy, described by a master. Oh, you're a magic clanger, Froggy! <laughs> higher, get higher, higher! Please 
This is it. This is the real thing. You've heard about it on the radio and seen it in the papers. Ten big acts for the price of one ticket. Behind this curtain, you'll see the Fiji mermaid, the giant red bat, the six-foot man-eating chicken. They're all real, and they're all on the inside. You'll see the Ethiopian gladiator. What are you waiting for? Admission is free to Bellycast, the podcast of the carnival and sideshow. You're just in time. We're going to have a free show. We're going to bring out the strange people, the weird people. Here they come now. Watch the doorway. You'll see what they do. You'll hear what they talk about. They're all alive on the inside. Get your ticket and come in. Ballycast presents news and interviews with performers and showmen. Some important words of warning. This podcast is not family friendly. I'm not even thinking about it. So listen at your own risk. The performances and stunts described are not safe even for experienced performers. Never attempt them without the direct supervision of someone who already performs them. Please use your common sense. And if you don't have any, stop listening now. Here's your host, Wayne Kaiser. Welcome to Ballycast, episode 166, brought to you free by Blue Ridge Entertainment for showmen, performers, and fans of the sideshow, carnival, and variety arts. In today's show, a new museum of the odd, the weird, and the paranormal, complete with ghost hunting devices you can buy. Also news and much more. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's Ballycast. Here we go. Keep your hands and arms inside the car and remain seated until the ride comes to a complete stop. In an earlier episode, we replayed Abbott and Costello's Who's On First routine. Just to get us started, here's a clip from a lesser-known routine that you might enjoy, too. 
Uh, you have a reservation for Ted Higgins and party? Oh, yes, sir. The best table. Well. It's all ready. This way, please. <clears throat> you sure we picked out a nice place to run up a big bill. High class, eh? Oh, very good. Wonderful, boy. Well, eat up. Eat plenty. It's our last meal. Okay. This is really a gorgeous place. Wonderful. Look at that wall over there. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a beautiful wall? Beautiful. You know what that wall reminds me of? What? This one over here. Oh, stop. Mm -hmm. Walls are walls. Suppose you walked over there and you bored a hole in that wall. Okay, I walk over there and I bore a hole in the wall. Why? Why should you go over there and bore a hole in that wall? I'm not boring a hole in the wall. Why should you go over there and bore a hole in that wall? Look, Ted, you said to me, suppose you walk over there and bore a hole in the wall. I was dopey enough to say I'll go and bore a hole in the wall, but you're not going to put that blame on me. That makes no difference. I don't go around boring holes in walls in restaurants. That's what I want to know. If I want to get out of here, I don't have to get out to a hole in the wall. Uh, you see that? They got exits here if I want Exide. to get out. Mm -hmm. Exit? Mm-hmm. out. What makes you so dumb? Oh, it just comes to me naturally. Sure. Suppose you walk into a baseball field. What teams are playing? I don't know. Then what are you doing in that baseball field? I don't know. You got me you in there and I'll get me out. Look, what is the first thing you buy in a baseball field? A hot dog? A hot dog. Without mustard? Mm -mm. Mustard goes with a hot dog. Not with mine. Mustard was made for the hot dog. Now, but I look, I don't like mustard. I like Worcestershire shear shorts. You like what? Worcestershire shear shorts. Worcestershire shear shear shorts. You can't even share it. But I don't, don't go for mustard. You don't like mustard, huh? I don't like it. No, I like Worcestershire shear shorts. You don't know why you dislike it. Sit here like a big dummy. I don't know. I don't know why I hang around with you. You can't answer a question. You... I, I, you. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. So, suppose you had $5 in one pants pocket and $10 in the other pants pocket. What would you have? Somebody else's pants on. There you are. You see, you want to answer the question. I ain't got question. no money. What are you asking me? Those kind of I'm not asking you that. Well, don't yell at me. Quiet, quiet. Pretend you're 40 years old. And you're in love with a little girl, say, 10 years old. This one's going to be a pip. Well, now, wait a minute till I finish it. Now, I'm going around with a 10-year-old girl. Well, wait a minute. Now, you got you... a good idea where I'm going to wind up. Will you wait a minute, please? <laughs> now, you're 40. She's 10. You're four times as old as that girl. Now, you couldn't marry her, could you? Not unless I come yeah. from the mountains. Uh, never mind that. I'm asking you one little simple question. You want to answer it? Well, go ahead. I... You're 40. She's 10. You're four times as old as that girl. Can't marry her, so you wait. Oh, you wait five years. I wait five years. Now, you're 45. The little girl is 15. Now, you're only three times as old as that little girl, right? Huh? So you wait 15 years more. Now the little girl's 30, you're 60. Now you're only twice as old as that little girl. She's catching up. Yes, yes. Now, here's the question. How long do you have to wait before you and the little girl are the same age? Now, go ahead. Now, there's a very simple question. Think hard. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What's ridiculous I mean, about? if I keep waiting for that girl, she'll pass me up. What do you mean? She'll wind up all in my What are you talking about? she'll have to wait for me. Why should she wait for you? I was nice enough to wait for her. Oh, stop. Maybe she thinks she is anyway. If she don't want to wait for me, I don't have to marry her. Marry her? She's a nice girl. I'm wait a minute. Do you know this girl? No. Then why should you marry a girl you don't even know? I asked you to ask me a simple one, didn't I? A little one. All right, all right, here. No, no, no. Take it easy. Take it easy. You're going to jail fast enough. Don't get excited. Ask me a all right, simple. simple. Every time I talk to you, I ask get a headache. Ask me a question slow again. Headaches is all I get when I talk Why to you. Why don't you take aspirin? Take an aspirin. You're telling me to take an aspirin? Let's go for a headache. Have you a license to practice medicine? Huh? Have you a license to practice medicine? Doctors all over the world, they study, they spend their lives. They go to college. They become... Doctors, and you tell me to take an aspirin. When one friend has a headache, another friend tells him to take an aspirin. That's all. It's a simple little thing. You have no business. Don't take the aspirin. <laughs> oh, I should go around with a headache, huh? There's a fine pal. Say you're in the Grand Central uh, Station in New York City. Mm. Right? You're in the Grand Central uh, Station. Yeah. Um, you buy a ticket. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. What are you buying a ticket for? I'm not buying a ticket. And what are you doing in the depot? Well, you are, you see. Same as the baseball game. Now, now you got me in a depot. 
I what am I doing in a depot? What are you blaming me for all these things? Well, did you know where you were going when you went in? I don't know. You put me in this station. Don't blame everything on me. Now that I'm there, I'll have to find some place to go. Find some place to go. I'll go bye-bye. Where's bye-bye? Where's bye-bye? Where is bye-bye? Oh, that way someplace. What's over there? Bye-bye. Oh, stop. Will you please talk sense? I'll go to Baltimore. I don't want to go, but I'll go. Baltimore? That'll sound Why that Baltimore? Way. Why did you have to pick out Baltimore? Of all the towns in the United States, why did you have to pick out Baltimore? What's the matter with Philadelphia? I got friends in Baltimore. Suppose you had friends in Philadelphia. Then I go to Philadelphia. And what happens to your friends in Baltimore? I'm not talking to them anymore. Suppose you were married, had a wife, and your wife was in Philadelphia. Then I go to Chicago. Oh, go ahead, eat your shrimp. Go ahead, eat it. Get it over with. Don't push it into my mouth. Go ahead. After all, you ain't paying for this. I'm splitting half of this. All right, come on. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Just a minute. Hmm? Get the checks. Wait a Service for two, please. You mean that you were... Uh, come, come, my good man, the patrol wagon. Make sure we get a seat the last time we had a stand-up. Will you uh, come with me, please? I'm delighted, yes, sir. Here, from a recent episode of Penn and Teller's Fool Us, is magician David Corsaro with a short but interesting thought. People ask me if I can support a family of four on a magician's salary. Well, they don't say it like that. They say, oh, you're a magician. Do you have a real job? And I do have a real job. I'm in show business. Magic is the show, and marketing is my business. Magic and marketing have a lot in common. In both cases, I'm using psychology to try to get people to do what I want. That might very well provoke some thought. Think about it. In our online shop, a growing collection of complete plans for timeless carnival attractions and acts. Here's one working performers can use today. From the 1940s, a complete pseudo-hypnotic act. The full set of secrets for performing a sideshow-style hypno-act with four detailed routines. Crowd-pleasers like the rigid arm, standing three men on the subject's chest, stopping the pulse, and breaking a stone on the chest. You can select your favorite individual effects or perform the entire set as a complete act. The manuscript is a detailed guide to presentation. There's no actual hypnosis involved, not even the careful scripting and attention control that modern stage hypnotists depend on. Digitized and carefully restored in PDF format for just $4. For a real piece of carnival history or a working act that still plays well today, use the link on the podcast page. You remember our conversation with James Taylor way back in 2007 in episode two. The business has always been whatever showmen thought they could present the public 
that would simultaneously make the show guy a buck and have everybody leave happy that they had seen a good attraction. That's what it really boils down to. It, it's, it's a fairly straightforward formula of, I'm going to entertain you, and in the process, you're going to pay me for having had to do the work of entertaining you. And that goes back to the dawn of the species, that recognition that, wait a minute, this made that guy laugh. I could make a buck off of this. And I don't think there's anything sleazy or bad about that. And now we have a return visit with the latest information on the first called Paranormal and Oddities Museum, opening soon. Taylor is the guy who has shepherded... Get those darn sheep out of here. Taylor has shepherded throughout their lifespans the American Dime Museum in the weird city of Baltimore, then the Palace of Wonders and the Red Palace in a questionable neighborhood in the incredibly weird city of Washington, D.C. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. First call, Paranormal and Oddities Museum. Oh, yeah. Phone number 1-844-NUMERAL-4-O-D-D-I-T-Y. There we are. The website is odditiesmuseum.com. Yep. There are, apparently, and as I was searching for this, a lot of oddities museums around the country. <laughs> oh, yeah. The things I helped promote early on, and it's now gotten just insane. They're scattered all over the place. But as they said when the Titanic sunk, now there's something you don't see every day. <laughs> We're in a new age. It's everybody wants on board with this stuff now. I, I when I was first publishing Shocked and Amazed, you know, the Oddities Journal and the, uh-huh. the Sideshow and Other Entertainment Journal, the world's only journal devoted to Sideshow and weirdness as entertainment, to, uh, to quote Fred Olin Ray. Back in the last days of the last century, you know, our prediction was, ooh, Sideshow is going to be the metaphor for the new century. And damned if it didn't happen. You've been in the museum biz since the Red Palace dried up and blew away at the end of 2012. And you've had three, so far, three museums die out from under you in a decade. Yeah, it was pretty scary. (laughs) Um, The American Dime Museum was, was the first of them. In Baltimore. I was in there for four years, and I went on to create the Palace of Wonders in D.C., which then segued into the Red Palace, kind of doubling its footprint. But yeah, the uh, the American Dime Museum, after I'd left, it went under in another, I guess it was like three or four years. It, and then the palace uh, went under and became the Red Palace, and it went under, as you mentioned, in, in 2012, the end of 2012. Well, nothing lives forever. No. The Red Palace and the uh, Palace of Wonders were in a... Very sketchy part of town. Every time one of these museums ends up in any location, and almost always, with the exception perhaps of first called Paranormal and Oddities Museum, 
they, they almost always end up in neighborhoods that are a little sort of borderline. I feel a little weird saying that because, well, they're like people who have to live in those neighborhoods and put up with the insane stuff that goes on. And you know, the craziness rolls in and they're like, oh, great, you know, something else besides, you know, the, the, the drugs and the, and the other questionable behavior. It's all these weirdo sideshow people and, and all these other oddballs. Well, the new place uh, is in Haverter Grace, Maryland. Oh, yeah. Not sketch. Not uh, at all. Well, somewhere between Podunk and Nowheresville. Howdy Grace is a gorgeous little waterfront community mm-hmm. uh, with very, very old roots in the state of Maryland. You know, going back to the founding of the state as much as and the founding of the country. And it's been through a number of reinventions and, you know, different iterations and stuff. But it's always been this, you know, this cutesy sort of artsy town. And there's a lot of money pouring in care of the feds, the state and, and the town itself. They're up in the waterfront some more and art districting the whole thing out beyond what it had been before. There's a lot of crafts in town, a lot of, uh, a lot of antique shops. If I remember correctly, or if I'm describing it correctly, Baltimore is about 43 miles northeast of DC and Haver de Grace is an equal amount northeast of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, Haver de Grace, you could, is more or less Halfway between Philly and Baltimore. So Philadelphia, Baltimore, great markets. Yeah, the um the big plus I think being that when you really think about where it's located, you've probably got about twenty five, thirty percent of the population in the United States within about a two and a half, three hours drive. The mid Atlantic is a great place to cite a lot of the stuff. It's a great place for shows, oh, great yeah. place for talent. Tons and tons and tons of talent come out of this area. But then they very often go to other areas of the country, so we lose them, which is well, kind of sad. But that's all right. It's okay. We're spreading lots the wealth. Of, uh, lots of talent, lots of things to see. Whenever I was in school, all I ever heard was uh, alternately uh, uh, colonial and civil war. Yeah, there you go. A lot of that. A lot of that. We're going to be focusing on a whole lot of stuff. I mean, the American Dime Museum in its day was as we touted, it was the um, museum that was built around the history of museums. So we had tableau and little sections of the museum all devoted to the different iterations of museuming that had existed prior to the American Dime Museum. So, of course, that got into carnival and circus and roadside attractions and vaudeville and all the rest of it, because when you really think about it, uh, so much of that grew out of basically the museum business. Uh, mm-hmm. once it became, you know, a business after it had segued from cabinets of wonder and cabinets of curiosity, you know, these rich guys and alchemists and, you know, doctors, if you will, of the era having these personal collections that they could have as bragging rights as much as that started turning into a thing where show people, Monty Banks and such started realizing, you know, these collections are amazing things and we could we could make a buck off of these. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what they did. They started opening up, you know, the the first purpose built museum, you know, in the Western Hemisphere was the Peel Museum down in Baltimore. And it was a for profit institution. <laughs> Pardon me. I know that's a nasty don't, noise. Don't be dying on me here, Wayne. <laughs> ah, I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> that's it. It's all over. Put my body in the museum. 
Ooh, there you go. The world's largest pickle pump. Well, I guess that's probably a more acceptable alternative to what I tell them. I have my ashes mixed in a concrete mixer and pour them down in the uh, bathroom floor of a girl's dormitory. Well, it'd be like uh, Bobby Reynolds' uh, late partner. His line was he needed to be cremated and then mixed in the paint that they painted in the bottom of the blade box. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a huge space. We have worked years to get what first call is going to end up being. You have to figure, when I got in the American Dime Museum, one of our major regrets about the place was the not, not just the amount of room, but the fact that we really wanted to get into some degree of performance in the space. Museums do not generally make the nut, as they say. They don't make their debts. Uh, off the door. And movie theaters don't either. They make it off the concession. They make it off of all that other yeah. stuff. And we realized immediately that what we needed to have is some sort of show input, some sort of event, uh, you know, shows, events, festivals, whatever it took to drive money into the institution. And first call really knows that. Uh, when we did the American Dime Museum, it was essentially how cheaply can we do this and get into the business? Uh-huh. And it didn't allow for the performance space. So we ended up having to job a lot of that out, which was okay because it built a lot of interconnections. It made a real web work for the business. And then when we did the Palace of Wonders, that was essentially, you know, a cross between a, you know, an old vaudeville dime and a dime museum and a, an old time music hall where it was essentially a club that happened to have a lot of really sexy and wacky and wild and crazy decor, if you will, and mm-hmm. with its emphasis on novelty and variety show business, which was good for the palace and then eventually the Red Palace. But first call, we're actually going to have performance space in there, and you know we're not going to we're not going to have room for you know four thousand head worth of you know worth of attendees, but it'll be a nice crowd size for uh, lectures and smaller shows and such. And when we need bigger venue space, we need more room. Uh, we have the parking lot out front. We can tent that out. Uh-huh. Uh, there's the state theater, not more than a couple of blocks away that, you know, we're loosely connected with. Y'all are suggesting uh, uh, holding corporate meetings, wedding receptions. Oh, yeah. I, I can see that. Anniversaries, oh, yeah. birthdays, or any other reason to party. I'm just reading from the website here. Uh, any given week, you might find the museum hosting psychic readings, tarot card and fortune telling, paranormal classes, guest speakers and lecturers on any number of things, and maybe even special traveling exhibits. Oh, yeah. Big time. Well, it's you have to change it up. The- problem that I think a lot of the the sort of the roadside attraction stuff and a lot of people who think they want to get into the museum business, they have collections of stuff that they're just really proud of and they really think there's an interest in and they want to put it out there. And when people show up and when are you expecting them back? Well, they've seen that show. So they're not going to be back anytime soon. You got to run them like a movie theater or it's like any of the museums that are like major museums, like let's say the Museum of Industry in Baltimore or or uh, the Science Museum in Baltimore. They all have things that they rotate through. They don't yeah. so much. 
they even, they even, for that matter, sponsor some degree of shows. I mean, when they had the, uh, uh, the Ouija board exhibition, uh, at the Museum of Industry in Baltimore, they had a, they had a big opening night. It was basically, it's a show and people are buying stuff and they're spending their money, which is necessary to keep these institutions open. But we were trying not to have to depend on any money outside of what we ourselves could generate. But, you know, you got to get off the ground. It's, right. yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, the museum business is one of the most brutal outside of, oh, I don't know, small press publishing that you could, <laughs> that you could imagine. Everything has to be kept on the level of how can I make the next buck? How is this thing I'm holding going to possibly generate money for the venue? I mean, you have to constantly be on it because when you're not closing, <laughs> you're not making money. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't, you know, it, I think a lot of people think that that the whole notion of constantly selling, constantly pitching, constantly being on, I I, I think that that in some ways that gets a bad rep because you know it's always depicted as sort of a little sleazy and a little seamy and that's kind of rough. You know, you always have to think about where the next buck's coming from. But well, separate from working full time for somebody else, that's kind of what life is. You got to keep moving forward. You got to put money on your hip or you can't eat. You can't keep the venue open. You can't keep entertaining people. And, you know, everybody wants the show, but nobody realizes that it takes a lot of money and a lot of sweat. And as they say in the show business, it's a hard way to make an easy living. Yeah. Well, now you, you're also selling ghost detectors and mm-hmm. dowsing rods. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was telling, I, I was telling somebody just today, you ever watch Supernatural and see like Sam and Dean lift up the trunk? We're selling the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, come on, you gotta do it. You, you just have to get it out there. My end of this, of course, is the sideshow and the weirdness and the oddity is entertainment, uh, in the circus and vaudeville less so than, than the paranormal, but we're all in this. I mean, we're, we're up to our necks in it. So yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be a fun thing. We are, we have plans for, uh, for an assortment of tableaus and scary things to take part in. Yeah. I see a page here. If you are experiencing a haunting or other paranormal event, please reach out to us. We offer free investigations throughout the entire Mid Atlantic region. Yep. Which says somebody has said, uh, Working at a Zoom meeting like this is kind of like, kind of like that. Is anybody there? Can you hear us? <laughs> Wait a minute. Who are those people behind you, man? <laughs> They're all dressed like colonial soldiers. What's with that? <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of the other stuff's pretty damn hardcore. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the cryptid stuff to, to me is a matter of we just haven't seen some of these things yet. And sadly, some of the people who have aren't taken as seriously as they maybe should be. There are still a number of things potentially roaming around out there that we just haven't dealt with yet. You know, I, I love all the stuff coming out of Loch Ness because however much everybody's like, yeah, yeah, Loch Ness monster, whatever. Every year or so, somebody who's in a really serious place will be like, um, you know, we just stumbled across and then it's like, oh, well, maybe I need to rethink this. We have a, a sea serpent, if you will, right here in the Chesapeake Bay. It's Chessie. 
there, there are some photographic graphic evidence out there for some things. We can get life-size Chessie uh, on the premises when we open up. So that's going to be fun, too. Going to have a, a life-size Bigfoot and everything else. It's, it's going to be a riot. What about this, uh, shall we call it a rumor, that uh, Bigfoot was a customized version of a costume from Morris Costumes? It's like I always say, when you talk about UFOs, if you want to talk about little Little gray aliens, that's one thing. If you want to talk about, you know, there's stuff going on up there. We just don't know what it is. Those well, are sure there subjects. is. There's, there's, uh, I, I subscribe to a, U, a YouTube channel mm-hmm. uh, showing uh, utterly undiscovered things in the depths of the sea. Yeah, the ocean is monstrously unexplored. There's a new species coming out of the ocean almost every day. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, you know, like we're screwing the planet, <laughs> global warming. But oh, what the heck? Maybe we'll see some other bizarre things come out of that. That's now, uh, coming spring, summer 2022. Yep. Can you put uh, focus I, on it anymore? I I can't I can't nail down a date because there's so many move. You know, they talk about too many moving parts. Oh man, the moving parts in this thing are just unbelievable. I mean, yeah, we have you the- have several associates. Oh yeah, well we have the we have the landlord who's still building out the space. We're still gathering attractions. I mean, the attractions that I've amassed over the years are just uh, it, it's it's preposterous. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, that's the big part of your participation personally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, we were we were picking up uh, attractions the other day for my storage units in East Baltimore. And we did two loads uh, the other day, and it's nowhere near getting to all of it. And above and beyond the paranormal stuff that's being brought in and the other attractions from others, there's also some stuff from my collection that I've never had on show and have wanted to have on show since, well, the Red Palace went under. Can you give me some examples? World's smallest crossbow I've wanted to put out there forever. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of show, um, uh, showman's, uh, costuming and such. Have a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, wardrobe that I want to get out there, um, including, um, some wardrobe that we did have at the palace, which was, uh, Melvin Burkhart, the original human blockhead. We, yeah. uh, we have some costuming from him as well as Priscilla Bajano, who was billed as the monkey girl in her mm-hmm. day. Got some, some stage worn outfits from both Jay Marshall, who was the Dean of American Magicians and Harry Anderson, of course, who was the, not only the judge on night court, but also probably one of the most famous comedy magicians of the last half of the 20th century. You know, people think Penn and Teller justifiably, but Harry was right up there. We all loved Harry to death. He was just, just a, a great talent and he oh, loved yeah. side, loved sideshow. Uh, in fact, um, they had their uh, shop down there in New Orleans sideshow for years that um, sold all sorts of gaffs and, and banners and magic props and all the rest of that stuff. We're going to be moving all that stuff in there. We're going to have a life-size Black Aggie, who was the notorious cemetery sculpture that was cursed. And you better not screw around with Black Aggie because bad things could happen to you. So we're going to have a a replica of Black Aggie, because of course we can't get to the original. She's a she's cemeteried, so uh, yeah, not not like we can be sort of going in and doing a cemetery raid. We're not going to do that, but uh, we'll have a photo opportunity available with Black Aggie, our our own on site. So that's going to be fun too. You know how much the admission's going to be? 
We're in the, the final days of debating about that. It, it, it's like the old carnival argument. You know, do you want to become a millionaire with one guy giving you a million bucks? Or do you want to be a little bit more realistic about it and expect to get paid a dollar at a time? You know, you, you might not quite make a million, but you'll make a living. We're kind of like working with that, you know, deciding like, gee, what are group admissions? What are child? You know, where's the cutoff and all of that? We haven't, we'll put it this way. We'll, we'll keep it at a, at an amount that's going to be family friendly. Because that's what we really want to do. I mean, we, yeah. we're, ex, you know, we're expecting the, the, the hardcore oddity and paranormal fans uh, and the hardcore sideshow and circus fans. But that's not all of it. I mean, we'd, we'd really like to get as many other people in as possible. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. We consider ourselves a family venue and that's what it's going to be driven towards. So we'll see how that goes. What's all this weird stuff, mommy? I'm scared. <laughs> Years ago, I went to a show at the Peel Museum, in fact, and a uh, circus historian, Dick Flint, he's one of the premier circus historians in, in the country, if not on the planet. And Dick Flint at the time had uh, mounted a show in the Peel Museum that reproduced what the Peel Museum would have looked like in its day. Oh, it was blinding. It was a complete inspiration for me publishing Shocked and Amazed because it was the early days of the journal, just me thinking about it. And it was just a blinding show. And on the first floor, they had sort of the background, the backstory, the explanatory attractions before you went upstairs and went into the early 19th century. And one of the things they had on the first floor was a Fiji mermaid, half monkey, half fish, that had been put on loan from the uh, museum up in Harvard. And they had it on display, this little, this little desiccated, ghastly specimen in the showcase. And as the Sun Papers reported, a Girl Scout troop had come through the <laughs> Peel Museum. And in front of that little desiccated Fiji mermaid, one of those Girl Scouts wept. And my line to people whenever they want to know, well, isn't this kind of a silly thing to do? Isn't this kind of crazy? Isn't this kind of weird? Who do you really expect to show up? My line to them is, now you tell me, relate that story to her kids, and you tell me where education begins and ends. That's an education you'll never get in a classroom. When I was a kid, uh, we also uh, used to go to, three, four hours away from Hobart Beach, Delaware. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. in the neighboring town of Lewis, oh, yeah. uh, there was uh, in the local museum a B.G. Mermaid. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. At the last time I was in Lewis, it was a couple of years ago, and I didn't stumble across the museum, but I'm not even an hour from Lewis right now. And I'll have to make sure I check out the museum oh. and see if there's one down there that still has that Fiji mermaid. That'd be great. I think it might have been the Zwanendale Museum. I don't know. Okay. You, you can't drive far enough to see a good Fiji mermaid. You just can't. <laughs> They're not pretty much all alike? Not at all. <laughs> In fact, we're going to have a tableau. This is one of the plans, too. I have any number of Fijis. We have access to a number of others as well. And we're going to set up a whole sort of... Uh, Forest line of Fiji mermaids. Oh, yeah. Fiji mermaids and other aquatic oddities. I have a a Vietnamese water bear that I want to put on display. He's never been on show. (laughs) The Mongolian bird-headed 
Seahorse is going to be one of the additions too. So I'm going to bring him out. We got a lot of great stuff coming in. Around lunchtime, will you have a six foot man eating chicken? Oh, I think he's going to be eating 24 seven. I, you know, I, yeah, he's a hungry, hungry chicken, hungry chicken. <laughs> well, I, I know it's early in the development of this. You haven't, uh, Settled on a lot of the things. You know, my, my partners and all of this, I like to tell them, you know, if you're not terrified at this point, you're not getting it. <laughs> That's the point. Tell me about your partners. Ryan Goodman is not only a longtime writer uh, for some major publications, as a matter of fact. Charles Kerner is um, a longtime paranormal guy and investigator. And uh, Brian, Brian, in fact, had come to me years ago and said, hey, you know, you're out of the museum business now in D.C. Uh, maybe we can get something going at Happy Grace. And I was like, well, you know, operators are standing by. Let me know. And, you know, things ground around. And every once in a while, you know, something would get tossed up and we'd back things around. And nothing sort of seemed to quite be happening and then some months ago, Brian's like, uh, hey, I got a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he ties me in with Charles Kerner. And the next thing you know, we got this 3,000-foot space. And it's right there by the waterfront and the park. And they're reinventing Havity Grace as, as, as a complete arts town. It's just it's everything. It's like this cannonball rolling downhill. Huge plans for the place. I have getting sculptures on the roof of octopus coming out of the, you know, the thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and Chessy and, and Bigfoot, as I mentioned before. And I, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun thing. It's, I'm loving, and I'm loving them both. I, I mean, you know, they, they tell you partnering with people can be a dangerous exercise. Uh, and it can be because, you know, the, the cracks and the fissures and the differences show up pretty quick, but, Having said that, I'm loving working with the people I'm working with. You know, I throw out the ideas, they throw out ideas, we battle them around, knock them around. Nobody gets PO'd with any of it. It's been a dream, frankly. I'm terrified of waking up, but, <laughs> but that's okay. I, I, I mostly live in a dream on a typical day anyway, so this is good. Now, come on, you can square with me. At least one of them has to be a son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, not well. They haven't turned out to be so far. Uh, no, I, you know, well, this is, this is a thing. And, and I don't even know that this is something that, that goes on air, but you and I are not 25 anymore. Neither is Brian and neither is Charles. I, uh, Charles, I've probably got 20 some years on. And Brian, I mean, Brian could probably be like, you know, if not one of my grandkids, he could certainly be a youngest kid. And really, Charles is young enough that so could he. And what I've segued into in terms of, you know, the performative life is I've segued into being that old guy. You know, I wasn't sure quite how I'd deal with that originally, but it, it's sort of fun in a way. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking into the void and the void is looking back at this point. You know, kind of being that funny old guy, that grand old man, if you will, is is a funny place to be. It doesn't mean they don't question you. It doesn't mean they don't go, hey, wait a minute. It doesn't mean they can't tell you, don't do it that way, do it another way. And that's fine. But it also means that they really do come to you because they expect you to 
kind of know a thing or two. And I, I'm kind of shocking myself because those three museums down, I do kind of know a thing or two. Well, you know how to kill them. <laughs> Anything worth doing is worth doing again and again and again. Really? Uh, this sounds like it's getting off to an awfully good start. Yeah, I'm simultaneously terrified because there's so much to do, so much to get done in any amount of time. But by the same token, there's no reason for it to feel this right at this point. It's just I I should be infinitely more frightened of what's coming than I am. And so I'm 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 liking this. I mean, I, I think the ducks are in a row in a much better way than they've ever been with any of the other productions prior. Well, you can get them up to uh, some of the performances. Yeah. That would be very nice. Both Charles and Brian and the other folks dealing with all of this, because they're they're not the only two people we're we're working with and and around. You know, everybody's aware that this is a lot of work, and the museum in and of itself, just people coming in to gawk at stuff, is not going to be beneficial enough on the hip to have this thing turn into a, a real payday and meet the bills. And that's good because those are things we found out painfully very early on. You've got a uh, website here, odditiesmuseum.com, yep. which uh, has the, the basic information so far and uh-huh. uh, the opportunity to shop ghost detectors online. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have updated performance information. Oh, hell, I'll repeat it. one 844 oddity They can, uh, they can, they can detect their own ghosts. There you go. Yeah. It's EMF detectors and all the rest of it in there. As I, as I mentioned earlier, if, uh, if you're a fan of supernatural, we're selling Sam and Dean's trunk now that the show's off the air. So <laughs> as much as I have to ask. Uh-huh. What do you say to people who don't believe in ghosts? I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to say to them in, in some ways because it, it really is a case of if you believe there's no explanation necessary. And if you don't believe there's probably no explanation that's going to be, it's going to convince you. It's, it's, it, in some ways it's a matter of faith because a lot of folks will see what for someone who's a firm believer, I mean, my 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 great aunt Mary, you know, she had she got the call. I mean, you know, she was second sighted. She was, as far as she was concerned, she told my grandmother. Unfortunately, the day of uh, the event, she had seen a letter edged in black delivered to my grandmother, and my grandmother was like, "Well, Mary, what do you mean?" And she goes, "I think Willie's dead," and that was her brother. It was both her brothers. And sure enough, mail shows up that day, letter edged in black, announcing, you know, Willie Fogg was dead. And, you know, that's kind of hard stuff to, to, to naysay in a way. You, you claim all sorts of origins you want, but all that second sight and, and seeing those who are gone and all the rest of it, it's, we are a very mysterious species. Yeah. And I would, I would contend that whether or not ghosts, for example, turn out to truly be the spirits of the departed or something else we just don't know yet. I'd say that it, it's like the point I was making about UFOs earlier. Just because you may not believe there's little green and gray men running around and, you know, an area 54 is BS. I and mean, if you want to believe that, great. 
But that doesn't mean that there's not something odd and something bizarre going on that warrants further checking out. And I'm all for that. Uh, Lauren Coleman, for example, big name in the cryptid community, huge name. He knows full well that, you know, there's, there's BS in the business. Good Lord. Nobody who ever worked sideshow firmly believed in any of them, but they were willing to, they were willing to say, go ahead, ask for questions. We got this thing we want to show you, but I'm not going to sit here and arrogantly claim that there is absolutely no reason for anything. That's ridiculous. It's, there are things about which we don't know enough yet. Are they going to turn out to be the spirits of dead people? I don't know. Who knows? And they're but, interwoven with uh, uh, human greed and uh, uh, obfuscation. This new Nightmare Alley film is wonderful in uh, describing the ins and outs of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, um, yeah not, and excuse me, the, that film is beloved of the sideshow community. Uh, both the first one and the, um, uh, the later iteration, you know, the, the one that's out now. But it's, it's a pretty clear picture that film makes anyway, as William Lindsay Gresham wrote it, that, um, well, gee, it's all BS. But even Gresham wasn't a thousand percent convinced. It, it is a funny little thing about Gresham's book. You know, he totally PO'd the carnival community, you know, when Nightmare Alley was published. They, he was despised in the carnival midways for having that book come out. Because as far as they were concerned, it did two things. It not only outed those who had those down and dirty shows, but it also, because no carnival, no carnival showman ever wants to have anything revealed, ever, if they can help. But separate from that, not all those geeks came from that background. In fact, I'm working now in the books to be published soon, the world's first nonfiction book on the geek business. I, I'm not sure when it's going to be published, but it should be soon. I, I finished the forward for it. It's as I have known for years, not all geeks were sort of fallen down drunks. My mentor in the business, Jerry Farrow, he had a geek show for one week. <laughs> he won it in a card game if you will. And uh, he was working Prell's Broadway shows at the time. Goes into the old man's office and old man Prell's like, Jerry, you were wanting to get into the show business and get out of the joints that you've been working, you know, the food and the game joints. I got a show for you if you, if you want it. And Jerry's like, sure, what is it? <laughs> and the old man Prell's like, it's a geek show, Jerry. The operator lost it in the game last night. And, well, that was me. So I got it for sale. You want it? Jerry was like, yeah, Pop, I'll take it. So he buys the show off the old man, goes out, and he's got the, you know, the, the Bally girl is this, is this huge old woman who's doing the, um, uh, the great Waldo bit of popping mice into her mouth and then belching them up and basically talking nonsense on the Bally platform. And inside the real geek is a guy who calls himself the English subject. And he's, this big guy and you go into the show and he's surrounded by snakes in the pit and if you've seen nightmare alley you got an idea of how that all works and he reaches down he picks up a snake and that thing's writhing all around he goes "Mm, i gotta take this boy down and he takes that snake tail first and he snakes it down his throat like a damn sword because he's it's a sword smiling act except with a live animal and he pulls it back out and he goes 
Mmm, that was good. Tickled my gizzard. Drops it back down to the sawdust in the pit. And he goes, I got to do it again. And he reaches down and he picks up, in quotes, a black snake. And he stuffs that sucker down his throat. And he pulls that out and starts swinging it around. People are backing up. The audience surrounding that pit, they're backing up. And then he throws that thing out into the crowd. And they clear the show. They're running, screaming at that show. Well, that gets the next tip. I mean, that gets the next crowd of people in. And what did he throw out at the crowd? A hunk of black rope. That's 99% of all these geek acts were all sleight of hand and gaff. Who the heck wants to carry around sufficient chickens, snakes, piglets, anything alive? Who wants to carry that damn livestock or have to depend on at a spot gathering up all that livestock for your show? It's ridiculous. You don't want to have all that. It's a nightmare. It's like a circus where you kill your animals at the end of the jack. It's nuts. You Uh, you have a point. You have a point. Yeah. It's just, it's not the way 99% of this is done. Now, did nobody ever geek? Oh, I ain't saying that. But there's differences between geeking every show and geeking legitimately when it really matters. Usually in these geek acts, when they do the really gown and dirty, I'm killing this chicken or I'm going to gut this piglet or whatever else disgusting and horrible thing they were going to kill. That's usually the very last show of the last night of the run, because you do not want to be doing that act and have anybody from that show go run into anybody in power, because however much you've patched all of that stuff up, however many palms you've greased with the local politicians, the local judiciary, the local law enforcement, you get people screaming too much about what's going on in that show. They're going to make you tear it down. And, and, and worse, they're going to make you leave town totally. And you don't want that to happen. So no. you want to be able to argue when and if any of these people show up, even though they've had their palms greased, you'd like, look, let me show you how we do this act and why it's not what the public thinks it is. And then you can show them, here's the gaff, here's the gimmick. And nobody ever ran a geek show the way uh, William Gresham described it, because it just it wouldn't be cost effective. In fact, here's another little tidbit. After William Lindsay Gresham wrote that book, and he found out that he was universally despised by all the carnival people for having written it, he wrote Monster Midway as a way of saying, look, I really do love the business. You know, it's a wonderful potpourri, that book. And it's just been republished, in fact, at a, at a price people can afford to buy. Gresham's Nightmare Alley really needs to be paired with Monster Midway. Because if you read them both, you'll see that Nightmare Alley really is a novel that takes liberties with the reality of a show the same way a movie takes liberties with the reality of a show. Yeah, well, you've got to have drama. Uh, the carnival is depicted in Del Toro's new one. Really, banner painter Mark Frierson, one of the grand old men in the banner painting business, Mark Frierson's description of it is, oh, yeah, it's the fantasy midway, where basically you can walk down that old midway and see the entire show on the platform out front. No showman was ever going to let you see all that stuff out front. They were going to give you enough of a tease on the valley to get you in to see the hardcore stuff. 
you were barely going to see that sword swallow on the platform. You might see him drop one blade, but then they'd milk you with all of that. Oh, you won't believe what he's going to swallow after this when you go inside. Or you'd see somebody on the platform with a bag over their head. Oh, you'll, you'll see what they really look like on the inside. Well, just like they'd have a short curtain hanging down between the outside and the inside so you could see all the feet of the people inside Yep, bingo, bingo. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All those teaser curtains and all the rest of that stuff. The shows that really let you see anything were very, very few and far between, and usually they had worked out a mechanism whereby you're seeing some of that show was basically hidden by all the other people in front of your show. Mm-hmm. So if what you wanted to do was join that crowd, oh yeah, you could, but you're still going to have to pay up. Because, hey, you know, you, you give it away. It's America, for God's sake. People look at it like, oh, well, if it's free, it's not worth anything, right? That's true. I, you, you have to charge people an amount that they think is truly indicative of the value of what they're going to see. You overcharge them, they feel ripped off. You undercharge them, they don't appreciate it as much as they should. And, well, when uh, I was working, I uh, had people say, oh, uh, you say you're so wonderful, can we see your work? But once they've done that, they've seen the show. You bet. Never, ever had anybody call back. Mm-hmm. This is, and I'll give you, I'll give you another little bit. Stefan Walker, who uh, is, a, is an amazing performer, an amazing talent. And he's, he's performing now as Less S More, one of the few actual, honest to God, performative pickpockets, not a gaffed act, a real pickpocket act. He and I were down in Asheville years ago when Harry Anderson was down there. We're in Harry Anderson's and Elizabeth Anderson's sideshow shop in Asheville when they had moved up to North Carolina from New Orleans. And Stefan was talking with Harry Anderson. He's like, look, you know, I've got some jokes I'm using in my act, but I'm, I'm not sure how, how they're going to scan as time goes on because they've got some sort of historical references and political references and stuff that I, I'm getting, I'm getting laughs now, but I don't know how they're going to age. Harry's lying to him. You got to figure Harry had this decades long experience in all kinds of performance, not only stage work, but TV, night court, all of it. And Harry's line was, None of it will matter if it's truly funny. If you think about it as what's always going to be funny and what is it that makes things funny, yeah, you can you can keep it top of the game. And well, Stefan is. I mean, Stefan's guy, he's a total joy to watch. But yeah, I, Har- Harry was always giving great advice. And I think we've done it. My hat off to you. I podcasts, I I I've had countless people come and say, why don't you start doing a podcast? I'm like are you out of your mind having to generate all that stinking content? Oh man, I know, I know. You got a point. You got a it's point. It's work. I'm, I'm telling you, my hat's off to you, man. I, you know, well, thank it's, you. it's work. Well, uh, James Taylor, preeminent sideshow, carnival, and unusual uh, expert. I really appreciate your being on with me. I wish your museum the best. Thank you, Wayne. Keep up the good work. Take care, pal. Down the road.
Did you hear that? I mean, did you really hear it? Did you listen? to Valleycast and join the human oddities and a few just plain folks privileged to see behind the curtain of the sideshow, freak show, and variety arts of all kinds. You'll hear stories of famous performers, past and present, interviews with brave and skilled artists, and ideas you can use for your own acts. You'll find links on the webpage at valleycast.com and all previous episodes are available as well. We want you. Stay you. Stay you. Stay you. Stay you. Stay you. Stay you. 
You know, every episode webpage has a place to make comments. You need to shut the fuck up. And I have so enjoyed the many insightful and thoughtful comments. You ought to take a gun and you ought to blow your brains out, you imbecile. From you, the members of the Ballycast audience. Shut your fucking mouth! I read every one, and I hope you'll continue to express yourself fully and often. English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Thank you. Fuck you! Next episode, the seven or more... Possibly many more death cars of Bonnie and Clyde. To finish, should we ease ourselves out of the weird mood or farther into it? Cast is produced by Wayne Kaiser for Blue Ridge Entertainment under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license.
That means you can keep it, copy it, share it with a friend, just tell them where it came from, don't change it, and don't sell it. If you enjoyed it, you can subscribe at Ballycast.com. Visit us, link to us, subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, enjoy. Exit to your left. You know, if you're not terrified at this point, you're not getting it.